Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning again. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen, Hour 2. For those of you just joining us, I am Carmen LaBerge. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. We are so glad you're here. Today is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Um, I hope you're observing it in some particular way. I know that many of us are going to be observing it from our homes um, because we're snowed or iced in. That is going to be true of much of the eastern United States today. And so for those of you who are used to driving around in it, please don't mock us too thoroughly. Yeah, there you go. Um, On Saturday morning, there was a huge, and when I say huge, we're talking about like atmospherically notable volcanic eruption under the ocean in a string of islands um, that comprise the nation of Tonga. And so if you said to yourself, I don't know where that is. Get your map out. Get your globe out. Google it. Find Tonga um, on uh, on the world stage. This is the biggest recorded volcanic eruption anywhere on the planet in more than 30 years. So you're going to be hearing, we are going to be hearing more and more about this. The images of it uh, were captured by a number of satellites. And so there are dramatic images from space watching the eruption in real time. There are not images from the ground. And so we don't know. We don't know the status of the people uh, in the region because the whole region is now covered it covered with a, a thick blanket of ash and this plume of smoke that goes some 12 miles into the atmosphere. If you were to go and watch the um, the footage, and if you just type Tonga into your search bar, this is what's going to come up. Um, you see this huge plume of ash and gas and steam explode out of the middle of the ocean. And then you can literally see the tsunami. The, you can't see the tsunami. You can see the shock wave that produced the tsunami. And you can see it move across the ocean. You can see the shock wave move across the ocean. And you can see it literally shake the clouds at the atmospheric level. It's pretty extraordinary. So the people of the region are living in a literal blackout. Nobody knows what is happening under that huge cloud um, because it's impossible to get in or get out. And certainly information is not getting out. There is there are no communication satellites that can access the situation because there is so much ash in the air. Uh, The volcano actually erupted again this morning, making it the fourth time this week and You know, we can only imagine the desperation of any people who have managed to survive to this point. Tonga is a Polynesian kingdom of more than 170 South Pacific islands. And the land upon which those people live rose up um, from the ring of fire in the depths of the earth. And so let's be mindful um, of the shifting sand upon which we live. I mean, as we pray the news related to Tonga and the people there and ask God's 
protection of them and um, and saving of those who can yet be saved, it seems prudent to remind ourselves that we all live on shifting sand. I mean, I'm old enough to remember the eruption of Mount St. Helens, and uh, there's hundreds of active volcanoes in Hawaii and Alaska, and many of us live on literal fault lines. Uh, so as we pray for the people of Tonga, who had no warning, um, and as we consider the scope and the scale of this eruption, you know, I think it's it's worthy having a conversation, you know, not only with the Lord, but with one another about the shifting sands upon which we live and, you know, living as those who are, frankly, prepared to die. Like, I don't think we have that conversation enough. If you missed the conversation we had with Christina Twitty at the end of last week, that is actually what we talked about. How do we have those necessary conversations um, about not only life, but those necessary conversations about death? Uh, You can always go back and listen to the podcast of prior shows at MyFaithRadio.com. Another person who you can hear regularly here on the Faith Radio Network is Dr. Linda Mental on the Dr. Linda Mental Show, and she joins us next. We're going to talk about hate. How do we live with hate? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Linda Mental uh, is a practicing physician. She's also an author. She is a radio host. You can find her at the Dr. Linda Mental Show here on the Faith Radio Network. Um, she is also a person who I think is pursuing um, influence in the culture to move us from what we're going to talk about today, which is hate, to operating out of love. Um, Linda, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, Carmen, it's great to uh, be back with you again. I do have to correct you. I'm not a physician psychologist, so I got to make sure mm. people don't start. Okay, so are those actually, me. yeah, so those are different, like, but, you, you yes, know, so, <laughs> so is that what makes a physician a physician? They can prescribe drugs? Well, it's the difference between psychologist and psychiatrist is uh, one goes to medical school, the other one goes to, I went to college for 11 years, so it isn't like it's a short route, but um, right. it's a little bit different. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. She, she, her prescriptions today are not going to include drugs. Her prescription today That's is right. going to include all kinds of other things. So if the yeah. diagnosis is hate, let's just say yeah. that the diagnosis is hate. Um, what is hate? What is it? It's a, it's an awful, it's more than an emotion. I wrote in my, in my blog that it was a strong emotion that we, we see expressed obviously a lot in the last year and a half or two years, but it really is even stronger than that because it's an activating state in your body as well. And we, we look at, we, we can look at what hate does in the brain because of the imaging that we do. And when we look into the brain, we, we see that it's a little bit different. There's, you've heard the. Let me let me just say this. You've heard this this sort of line. There's a fine line between hate and love. Well, it activates similar parts, but the difference with hate is that we've actually found a hate circuit that gets activated when you feel the emotion of hate. And what happens there is it it moves you. It it has this motor part of the brain that gets activated, and it moves you towards aggression. And then you're constantly deciding when you hate somebody, whether you should do something, 
whether because you're thinking about that person, you're ruminating on that person, you're thinking of ways to hurt that person, and you're constantly deciding, should I take action or not? So it's a very toxic emotion. It's a very dangerous emotion. And one of the reasons we're talking about it today, I think, Carmen, is because Martin Luther King uh, Jr. had a, a great quote. He's got a lot of quotes, actually, about hate. But one of the ones I really like is he says, returning hate for hate multiplies hate, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Okay, read the whole thing to us again. The quote, okay. Mm-hmm. Returning hate hate multiplies hate. Adding deeper, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. A lot in so- there. Yeah. And Linda, that feels like a really short sermon, right? Like, I think when when we imagine that a conversation about racial division and and or racial reconciliation, that that has to be a long conversation. Um, actually, it can be distilled in uh, in a quote that is just one sentence or two sentences, complicated sentences, but sentences nonetheless. Returning hate for hate multiplies hate. Adding right. deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. That's a dark darkness. I mean, a night already mm. devoid of stars is a dark darkness. Darkness cannot drive out darkness, which, you know, there's a, I mean, he, this is so biblical, right? I mean, he's preaching a little mini sermon here. Only light right. can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Talk with us a little bit about the power of light and love to dispel the darkness of hate. Well, it's the only antidote, and it's it's so interesting because, you know, Jesus spoke about loving your enemies. And actually, I do believe—now, don't I'm not great with history, but I think that that quote actually came from uh, uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s sermon on loving your enemies that he did in December. It was like a Christmas sermon uh, from many, many years ago, I think in the 50s, like 57 or something like that. And uh, it was all about the time of the year when Jesus came as the light of the world and he drove out the darkness. And you remember the stars were brightly shining, as we sang at Christmas time during that time, because that lightness dispels the dark. And it, it really is talking about the solution for how we deal with hate. And this is what I loved about Martin Luther King Jr.'s approach. He isn't saying give hate for hate, which is the message that we're hearing so much today. But he's saying that love is what drives out that type of hate. And he uses the radical words words of Jesus that says to love your enemies, that the only way you're going to overcome this emotion. And this emotion is very toxic to the point where Jesus says, if you hate someone, it's like murdering them. So this emotion is spoken about by Jesus. He talks about how deep and how toxic it is. And it is a sin to have hate in your heart. And it was interesting. I was reading John 2, 1 John 2 yesterday. And that's the passage that says, if you say you're a Christian and you hate your brother, then you don't really have any love in your heart and you're really a liar. So this whole notion of hate in the Bible is constantly tied to sin, to murder, to not loving your brother. And this is the message that is so important, I think, of Martin Luther King. He was all about nonviolence. He was all about loving 
bringing in the light to shine in those very dark places and dispelling the darkness through love. And that is that is something we just we just have to get back to. You know, I was thinking about this, Carmen. I did a uh, a conference with his, with uh, his daughter, Bernice King, number of years ago, and it was probably maybe 15, maybe even more years ago that we did this conference in a really big church. And I'm thinking it's been that long. And what progress have we made in this area of racial you know, reconciliation? We are talking about it. We are having lots of conversations, but you're right. You have to have love in your heart. And the only solution for that is going to be the love of God, because in the natural we activate these brain circuits in our brain, in our brain, which then, you know, produces action in us. And we have to do something to transform our life. And that transforming power is going to be the, the love of Christ in our life. All right. You can download a copy of the nine-page sermon called Strength to Love, preached by Martin Luther King Jr. in 1963. All you have to do is just Google MLK Strength to Love, and the PDF will pop up, and you can download it and read it. There you go. That's a good um, MLK Day assignment. Uh, Dr. Linda Mental and I will be right back. Um, Linda, let's um, let's talk a little bit about darkness and dealing with the darkness. I mean, like the the darkness of winter. Can we talk about the winter, like I don't know, the winter blahs or doldrums that we we can find ourselves in this time of year? Absolutely. Good All right, that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, we're talking with Dr. Linda Mental. Um, we've been talking about the spiritual darkness of hate, and now we're going to talk about um, how our bodies and minds uh, respond to the physical darkness this time of year in the Northern Hemisphere, and depending how far north you live, um, the greater this reality. So, Linda, um, let's talk about the darkness, like the winter blues. Yeah. The winter blues or the winter blahs or whatever people want to call them, it affects about 35 million people. So this is something that a lot of people experience, usually somewhere around November till the time it gets spring. And it has everything to do with the shortened light during the day. So <laughs> a lot of us are waking up in the morning in the dark. And by the time we get home from work or dealing with whatever we are dealing with in the daytime, the it's also dark when we get back. So we are not getting that natural sunlight that really impacts our mood in a very significant way. Physiologically, there's an impact when you don't get sunlight. It affects you. You have this kind of lethargy. You don't want to get out of bed. You don't feel motivated. You actually crave carbs. That's a big one that people always used to talk to me about. And you sometimes you just feel like, I just want to be alone. And people notice you're more irritable and kind of anxious. So that gloom really gets to people this time of year. And that's I think that's one of the reasons why so many people in the North flee to Florida for a break, because they need to have some sunshine in their life. Yeah, it is um, it's pretty in Florida this time of year, no doubt. So I was, um, Paul alerted me to this, and I was noting that today is Blue Monday, also known as Gray Monday in other parts of the world. Um, Blue Monday, uh, known as the most depressing day of the year. Oh. Um, and, I, and I think that, you know, one of the reasons behind that is that um, people just got their credit card bills from mm -hmm. Christmas, Right. So in addition right. to and maybe we've reached the point where 
We haven't kept the commitments that we just made three weeks ago. Um, the weather affects us. Debt affects us. Um, you know, we've reached the place where whatever good feels we had from being with our family and friends over Christmas, now we're looking at long periods of time before we see them again. Um, our own failure to take action on things in our life that we know we need to. I mean, there's lots of contributing factors. But what would you say to sort of turn on the light today? Well, you do need to get more light this time. If you want to correct your mood, and you're one of those people who really suffer with this, I mean, there is a, a real disorder called seasonal affective disorder that's related to the winter blues. It's a little different. It's a clinical disorder, but it has everything to do with getting more light. And so you really want to make an effort this time of year to get outside if you can. I know it's cold in a lot of the places our, our listeners are are living right now. But even with the, the cold, I, I'm a Michigan-born person. I would get out in the wintertime and cross-country ski or play in the snow or bundle up and go out and ice skate and do all those things. And it's really important because what happens is that you get this light through your optic nerve in your eye. So when you're out there and you need to take off your sunglasses every once in a while to get this benefit, it will increase the brain chemicals that help fight this this kind of down mood and this feeling of depression that a lot of people have. So do something that will get you out in that light. And it also, a lot of people are very aware of um, that they need to have good vitamin D levels. A lot of times when we have those checked, they're low. So one of the things that the sun does, it's, it's a source of vitamin D. So again, getting outside, trying to to get with pe- you know people doing something, but maybe you can do something just for a little bit of time out there. But even if you're you're forced inside, I think it's really good to, you know, think about what can I do during this time of year to not be depressed? So maybe I can tackle an indoor project that I've wanted to do. I'm reorganizing a closet that is desperate in need of that. And if I get that accomplished, it's going to lift my mood. Uh, there's a lot of indoor fun. And Carmen, I'm a northerner like so many of our listeners. And what we do in the winter is we hop houses and we play lots of games, lots of board mm-hmm. games, lots of cards. And, uh, you know, somebody bakes a pie and we get together and and we try to, uh, you know, have fun in the winter doing other things. And then it's it's one thing that's really interesting about when you socialize and you're around happy people. Happiness is contagious. So Mm -hmm. with your when you're around somebody up and positive and isn't moody, it's a there's a contagion factor with that. And it actually helps the people who are a little bit more of the. Eeyore type personalities, it actually helps them feel a little bit better. And then the other thing I would say is, you know, do something new. Novelty is good for the brain. It improves your mood. Um, You know, do something that you can do that might be useful, maybe volunteer, maybe help with something in your community, maybe something at your church, especially as we're dealing with the pandemic. There's so many, many, many things that people can do to be helpful. So don't sit in your room and feel bad is my message, even on the gloomiest day of the year. You know, try to, uh, you know, do something to activate your brain and get yourself moving and get some sunlight if possible. So on Saturday morning, I was at a discipleship conference, a disciple-making conference at my church. It was a Friday night, Saturday morning thing. And we're sitting there in uh, in the room on, on Saturday morning and people finally got cold enough that somebody turned on the heat, which tells you a little bit about where we live, right? So 
Um, the heat has not been on since, obviously, last winter. And those of you in the north know this. When you turn the heat on, after it has, it's been off for a really long time, there might be some dust in there that has to burn itself off. So we could smell that. Nobody seemed too concerned until there was smoke. And so we had to evacuate the building, and it was cold outside. So we were standing outside as all the fire trucks came into the parking lot. And obviously, they also evacuated the little kids whose parents were attending the disciple-making conference. So there's all these little kids standing out there. They're awed by the fire trucks for a few minutes, and then they're just, you know, anxious, fearful little children standing on the sidewalk outside the church. And I decided, taking your advice that, you know, being outside is one thing, but actually doing something outside is another thing, and happiness being contagious, I took your counsel, and I I just turned to all the little kids and said, hey, who wants to sing a song with hand motions? And we did <laughs> Rise and Shine, and we did Pharaoh, Pharaoh, and it didn't just change sort of how the little kids were feeling about things. It tangibly changed how everybody was feeling about what we were experiencing. And, I mean, eventually they gave us the all clear and we went back in and um, and got going again on what we were doing. But um, I do, I absolutely think you're right. Going outside is great. Doing something outside together that's also joyful and you're moving around um, and is sort of happiness contagion is even better. And so maybe yeah. you and I could um, encourage people to do all of that today. Well, you could sing This Little Light of Mine and with the mm. hand motions as well. Absolutely. I'm going to make it shine. And that's a good reminder that you need some light. You need some sunlight. You need the light of the sun, Jesus Christ, but you also need some sunlight that he created for us to help our moods as well. So you can get both of those. You can get a dose of both of those by uh, getting into the word and reading the Bible and all the things that you encourage people to do and getting some natural sunlight and even some light boxes that sometimes people get where it simulates dawn and it makes you feel better when you have one of those in your room. So lots of ways to get light and lots of ways to get active to displace those winter blues. Love it. Let the light shine. Dr. Lena Mental, thank you for being uh, one of the shiny ones and, uh, and joining us today. You guys can find Linda at drlindamental.com and here on the Faith Radio Network on the Dr. Linda Mental Show. Right now, if you go to myfaithradio.com, you can read uh, a current blog related to what we talked about today. It's called Living with Hate. We'll be right back. And the vision. All right, you would think that since 1968 or 64 or 60, we would have learned how to talk about these things. But talking about race, um, even for Christians, is strangely difficult. We don't want to avoid honest conversations. We want to have honest conversations. Um, and we want to bring about and enjoy authentic racial unity in our churches. So Pastor Isaac Adams is going to jo join us. He's going to show us um, how to understand the reasons for our reluctance to speak about race and then grow together in love um, rather than continue to avoid the conversation. He's going to teach us how to have it as brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're ready to talk about race, but you've been resisting it, this conversation is for you. Don't miss it. This is Max Licato. God's answer for troubled times has always been the same. Heaven has an occupied throne. During the 8th century BC, ancient Judah enjoyed a time of relative peace thanks to the steady leadership of King Uzziah. 
He kept enemies at bay for 52 years. Then Uzziah died. Isaiah the prophet was worried. What would happen now that Uzziah was gone? Or in your case, what will happen now that your job is gone or your health has diminished? Does God have a message for his people when calamity strikes? He certainly had a word for Isaiah. The prophet wrote, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. Uzziah's throne was empty, but God's was occupied. He was and is alive on the throne and worthy of our endless worship. This is Max Lucado. Isaac Adams is the lead pastor of Iron City Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, He formerly served as pastor at Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. He is the founder of United We Pray, which is the letter U, the word we, and the word pray, uwepray.com. He's also the author of Talking About Race, Gospel Hope for Hard Conversations. Isaac, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, Carmen, thank you so much for having me. Good morning. Good morning. I probably should have just started by saying Isaac is my brother in Christ, and I'm going to spend eternity with him, and I should learn how to talk to him, talk with him today. Amen. Amen, sister. I'm looking forward to it. So I think that is, um, Isaac, right at the root of uh, of this conversation. Um, You and I are brothers and sisters in Christ, and so we ought to be able to talk about um, division in our culture, and even division um, that exists historically between people who uh, who are historically, like I am fairly white-skinned, um, and you are fairly dark-skinned, and historically there has been enmity um, between some dark-skinned people and some white-skinned people, and we don't know how to talk about that as a nation. We need to talk about it. It's MLK Day. Like, we know we should talk about it. We want to talk about it. We hate the hate that that has existed, and yet we find ourselves paralyzed when we turn toward this conversation, even as Christians. Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, with the we understand, Carmen, our gospel to be extremely powerful. Uh, we understand that Christians should be slow to speak, slow to anger, uh, and quick to listen. We understand that the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead uh, is in us. So I'd like to believe that if the spirit, if that powerful spirit is in us, surely we can talk about uh, some hard things. Because otherwise, what real good is the gospel for if it can't change how we live and how we love in this world? Uh, And I think we sell a a message of false advertising if we come into church pretending like everything is okay and like we don't have any real issues and we don't want to go there because, hey, we might not make it through when God has promised us in his word that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. So I think we have all the resources we need and more uh, in the gospel, in the scriptures, and in the Lord Jesus. So, Isaac, let me say this. Um, One of the things I deeply appreciate um, about talking about race, Gospel Hope for Hard Conversations, which is the title of the book, um, is that you don't seem angry at me. And so I'm invited into a conversation where I'm not immediately made to feel as if um, somehow all the wrong resides in me. And so you, um, I appreciate that. And I just wanted to, wanted to say that you are shepherding a conversation for people 
whom God has given you as a pastor. Like that comes through in this. And so talk with people about sort of where this conversation grows out of and and why you think it matters that we talk about race today. Yeah, I think uh, two notes on that, Carmen. First would be, uh, you know, I am trying, the the main voice I'm trying to give into this conversation and through this book is a pastoral one. And I quote 2 Timothy 2, 4, the Lord's servant must be kind to everyone. And there's no asterisk on that everyone. It's everyone. And so I say in the book, I'm going to talk to you like you're my friend, not my enemy. And I think so often uh, in the broader conversation, we're simply speaking as enemies and trying to speak coercively and coercively change people's minds, whether that be through uh, shame or guilt from either side. And so, uh, and that just doesn't work. First of all, it just, that's not how people change their minds. That's not how people actually work. But if I, if, uh, if someone feels that I'll actually treat them as what they are, which is most fundamentally an image bearer, someone who, who bears God's image, who's worthy of love and respect and dignity, that will change the conversation. Um, and then the second thing I'm trying to remember, um, but uh, so yeah, but that's the kind of that's the kind of heart I'm trying to put onto display. And if you want to remind me of your second question. Um, well, I, I think it's the conversation about the diversity of people um, with whom you engage as a pastor, right? It's not like you're yes. a pastor of a quote unquote black church. Like that's not what's going on in the reality of a gospel con- congregation. Yeah, and I want to be clear. I mean, I want to. So I try to make clear in the book uh, that there are different kinds of congregations. You have predominantly white congregations. You have predominantly Korean conversation congregations. You have predominantly black congregations. I don't think that's a bad thing. That that that's anti-gospel by any means. Uh, and yet, I'm trying to help folks engender the conversations across ethnic lines. And this is what I was going to say. I remember now. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people could be like, "Hey, why are we?" Why are we still talking about this? Haven't we had the conversation or whatever? Well, one, we're still living uh, in the effects of grave injustices of the past. Uh, Like you said, we're talking here on MLK Day. Two, the Bible, if you read it, it talks so much about our talking. Uh, the scripture has so much to say about those holes in our faces uh, that uh, a lot comes out of and a lot of our hearts is revealed uh, and people are actually profoundly changed through conversation, through better conversations or worse conversations. And so I'm <clears throat> I'm all for uh, racial justice. I just think people will be better prepared to run the marathon of racial justice if uh, they understand why this conversation is so hard. So, and the fundamental question I'm trying to answer in the book, and really trying to display through the book, uh, through interacting with these different characters, like you mentioned. So, I'm not just talking to white people. I'm not just talking to black people. Uh, I'm talking to Christians of all stripe, real Christians, and trying to hit them where they are. And I often talk to those kind of folks as they come through the doors of my church. Yeah, and at at its root, the question that you are seeking to answer for me. For me, as a white evangelical Christian who sincerely wants to in, not only engage in the conversation but change the culture on this particular um, front, um, is what can I do? So if you're listening right now and you have asked yourself that question a million times, what can yeah. I do? That's the question that Isaac Adams is answering in talking about race. Gospel hope for hard conversations. It's intensely practical, and we're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. We 
So one of the things that uh, was given at Christmas in my family, one to another, was a reverse coloring book, a uh, coloring book where all the colors are already on the page, but you then draw in the lines. I thought about that as I was re- reading Isaac Adams' book, talking about race, gospel hope for hard conversations, because he helps us understand um, why we should have conversations about race across color lines and um and why it's so hard and how to do it. So it's an intensely practical book. Isaac, talk with us about, um, well, we're going to, we want to, we want the answer to the question, how? So I want you to give people a couple of walking points um, today as they seek to talk about this. So I want some walking points, but I also want you to explain um, to those for whom this might be a, a different way of thinking about things. What does it mean that I am wearing a mask? Yeah, that's a great that's a great question. Uh, when it comes to how there's lots of different things, um, there's lots of different uh, tips and lots of uh, where folks are. Uh, first is, uh, you know, I think often we're consumed with what we could say. Scripture says uh, commends and says a whole lot about listening well. Uh, so there are really basic questions someone can ask uh, to engender better conversation. So one would be, um, hey, can you share your experience with me? Uh, and in saying that, you're not saying, hey, everything you're about to say is true or whatever, but you're just allowing and honoring someone else's very different experience. And that's what I'm trying to do in the book is highlight very different experiences too. You can ask a simple four word question. What did you mean by X or Y or Z? So instead of, you know, reading someone's Facebook post and assuming you must have met X, Y, and Z, well, actually you could ask, and someone might not have meant what you actually think they meant uh, in terms of, uh, in terms of, the conversation or whatever it may be. So there's lots of prompts like that. And I tried to get at some of uh, maybe some, and I tried to challenge in the book, even biases we might have uh, that go unspoken or unsaid. And remind me of your second question, Carmen. Um, when you use the term mask, I don't yes, know that yes, everybody yeah. recognizes that we're all yeah. wearing one. Yeah. So uh, I, so really, you know, we were talking about that question, what can I do? And I was setting out to answer that question. And I try to answer that book question very practically at the end of the book and kind of throughout the book. Um, but uh, in the wake or in preparing this book, uh, Ahmaud Arbery was gunned down and now I can say murdered. Uh, and there was an African-American actor who went uh, online, uh, who went live online to talk about uh, the mask he felt like he had to wear in predominantly white spaces. Um, and this was during the COVID, this was during COVID's outbreak. Uh, so he's lifting up that kind of mask and said, hey, long before COVID, I felt like I had to wear a mask. And historically, that's just how so many African-Americans have felt in predominantly white spaces. So you can read Paul Lawrence Dunbar's famous poem, really a, a prayer called We Wear the Mask, talking about this mask. And what I felt as a pastor is that actually, I think a lot of people, maybe not with equal amounts of difficulty or for equally good reasons, were all coming into this conversation wearing masks. That is, uh, we're just kind of putting up a front. We're not truly being honest. And that does no one any good because, again, it's just kind of this masquerade, this charade. And that really doesn't tell the world anything about the power of Jesus. John 13, 35, Jesus says, by this, all people will know you are my disciples by the way you 
love one another. And so we want the world to see that love and love is difficult and love is hard. So I try to get at the different masks people are wearing in this conversation. Uh, the book was originally going to be called We Wear the Mask. Uh, and then the publisher was like, yeah, during COVID, that's just not going to work. And I think you but uh, But that's what I'm trying to help folks do is lower the mask and say, hey, uh, instead of trying to save face and, uh, you know, grin and bear it, let's just drop our masks. Let's, let's put our cards on the table and see where we're at. Cause that's actually better. What I'm trying to get at Carmen is what if you could actually be honest about race and what you think at church and still be loved by your brothers and sisters there. Listening is a huge part of this. Prayer is a huge part of this. Um, turning to the scriptures is a huge part of this. Um, and so all of those, Isaac, feel like natural for for Christians to say, oh, oh, this is not this is not going to be a politics book. This isn't going to be a book where I got to learn I learn a lot of psychology. This is a book where I am going to learn to listen um, and lean in and ask better questions um, and listen again and turn to the scriptures and see what God is saying to me and how others are hearing the same passage and then um and then turning toward the challenges that we face together, like turning to those together. Instead of there being this division between us, we then have this united front as Christian brothers and sisters turning toward the way the world is talking about the same things. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We uh, So in the book, I'm trying to have God's word be the lamp unto our feet and the light unto our path uh, through this book. Uh, and I'm trying to get at very basic texts uh, that I think have instructions for how we treat and how we listen and how we see one another. Yeah, hugely helpful glossary at the back. Um, And I want to give you an opportunity to give a shout out um, to Jan Adams um, here in our last minute. Oh, thank you, Carmen. Yeah, Jan Adams is my mother. So uh, I have a lot. I'm a pastor. I've got lots of favorite theologians. Love Mark Dever. Love Charles Spurgeon. Love Francis Grimke. Uh, but I tell folks, make no mistake, my mother is my favorite theologian. Uh, she taught me uh, that a mind is a terrible thing to waste. And part of the reason I think we talk so poorly, uh, Carmen, is we've not been taught well to think well about these issues from the scriptures. And that's why you see, I think, a lot of us uh, grasping for whatever it may be, political ideologies or whatever it may be, when we, uh, the bedrock of God's word teaches and renews, teaches us how to think and renews our minds. So uh, my mom uh, is my favorite black history professor, uh, just watching her be a faithful black woman in this world uh, for year, for decades now. Uh, and so there was no one else I've wanted to honor more than her. Uh, and it was a real treasure for me to be able to uh, uh, dedicate the book to her. So thank you for that, Carmen. All right. So your assignment is to give her a call and tell her that she did a good job. <laughs> I, I try to do that almost <laughs> every day, but uh, I love uh, that. I right. No I love that. Don't, but, don't, don't forget about her in this process. Cause I know that the, uh, the book launch process can be, um, well, it can be kind of sticky and just don't forget. I mean, I don't think you're going to, but don't don't forget um, in the midst of it, like she prepared you so well for this and it's such a blessing to the rest of us. So thank you for allowing yourself to be a conduit of the conversation and teaching us um, the skills and, and sharing with us and then inviting us into it. it that All of that is happening um, through this book. The book is Talking About Race, 
Gospel Hope for Hard Conversations. Isaac Adams um, is a pastor, and he's also the author of this uh, most excellent work. Oh, and you guys should check out You We Pray. So it's the United We Pray effort, and I'm so sorry I forgot to ask about it. Uh, but the, the website is the letter U, We pray.com you we pray.com isaac what a blessing thank you so much hey thank you for having me carmen i pray the book blesses you thank you sister it does it does thank you we'll be right back where are you most aware um, of the color of your skin is it in environments that are predominantly white or environments that are predominantly not white give that some thought zimri texted in and um, said on the topic of today's conversation, I personally have felt more quote unquote colored in predominantly white spaces and I'm concurring. I certainly feel more white or feel my whiteness in predominantly non-white spaces. But then I have to recognize there's a, a whole lot more predominantly white spaces in America than there are predominantly non-white spaces, which means that um, Zimri is carrying the burden um, of uh, of that part of this conversation. So Zimri, thank you for um, for checking in with me on that. That we, We're out of time. Love you guys. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.